Welcome to Legends from the Hill, the Franciscan University Alumni Podcast, where we talk to alumni about their candid experiences as students and what they're doing in life now. Here in Season 2, we are excited to be talking to alumni who currently work at the university in a variety of departments. We look forward to hearing about what has changed and developed in their part of campus over the years and what has stayed the same through the test of time. We're your hosts, Christy Fleming, Director of Alumni Relations, and Megan Cohen, Class of 2010. Join us as we hear how the Franciscan spirit lives on in the lives of our alumni on Legends from the Hill. Today we have Holly McElwain joining us on the podcast. Holly is a 2003 grad from the Education Department. Her professional life has led her into a career serving the whole person, and she is passionate about people finding a sustaining and harmonious solution to their work-life balance. She is the author of three books and currently the director of HR here at Franciscan. Holly is the mother of two boys, and I am excited to welcome her to the podcast. Holly, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Christy, I'm so excited to be here. It is great to have you. I'm so excited to be able to share and hear more about your story um, from beginning of Francisca until now. So can you take us back and uh, help us to understand where you're from and how you got to Franciscan to study? For sure. So I grew up in a very, 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 very small town in Western Pennsylvania, and I was the first person from my high school to attend Franciscan. Okay. Um, there was an, an alumni who his sister went to Catholic school and I was best friends with her. And Honestly, I had a huge crush on him. He was like 10 years older than me, way too old. But he was a Franciscan student. And that is how my family heard about Franciscan in the first place. I love it. So, I know. It's so real, though. Um, and if you knew me in my time at Franciscan, this completely tracks. Um, I, you know, I, I was always very interested in having friendships with the other gender. Okay. And so when we met this student um, as a little, little kid, I just thought like he was amazing. He was such a good man. And my parents loved his family. And so we took a trip up to Steubenville because they had festivals of praise back in the 90s that lots of people traveled to from all over. Hmm. Um, my dad was a high school teacher and he didn't really like high school students. Oh. He'd been in the field for a long time. And um, him and my mom were kind of like, barely they're Catholics. And so when I was in middle school, a couple of things had happened to them where they had started to have these little bits of conversion. And they uh, were invited to chaperone a Steubenville Youth Conference. Mm. And so my dad finds himself, this is back in the 90s, with like the tents and the heat and like all oh, of yeah. the theatrics. My dad finds himself, a high school teacher who did not like high school students, surrounded by high school students who were just in extreme ecstasy, it seemed like to him, praising God. And he had never experienced anything like that in his entire life. And so mm -hmm. he was about 40 years old and had gone to confession for the first time in decades. Mm -hmm. And it was such a transformational event for him that my family became practicing Catholics. And it became something that was part of who we are, not just part of what we did. Hmm. And so I, you know, I started coming to conferences um, in eighth grade and doing all the things. 
you know, it was the highlight of the summer. It was, it was such an important part. And it made me think of Franciscan as a potential for mm-hmm. going to college. So I came to college, um, and my freshman year was in 1999. And, um, I dove in head first and had definitely hit a wall because my freshman year was so up and down. Um, and I didn't know that I was going to stay because it was so hard to make friends and the thing that turned the corner for me was making friends with what we called townies, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was an education major. And so I connected really deeply with some other kids from the local area. And the wing that I lived on in Tommy Moore was um, the, the ground floor wing. And so there were half as many people on it. Mm-hmm. And Julie DeLuca was our RD. Okay. Yeah. And she's like one of the most phenomenal, phenomenal people. So she was our RD. She fostered such a beautiful community that those girls that I lived with on the wing, I'm still friends with them today. Yeah. 20 years later. Um, They're phenomenal women. But I I just, I I realized that what made Franciscan so special was the relationships that we were able to form. And, um, and, you know, eventually I found my household and realized that there was nothing that I was not going to experience at Franciscan. Mm-hmm. I wanted to have every part of it. I was hall council. I was hall council president, planned the last class luau. All right. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> it was fun. Like, I loved planning the parties and doing the events um, and joined, you know, the Handmaids of the Lord household my freshman year. And um, it became the glue that mm-hmm. kept me there. Yeah. That's so funny that you say being an education major got you connected with the townies because I also had that experience. And... It was so unique because I feel like a lot of the commuters or people that were coming onto campus were doing education and not in theology or some of the other classes. So, yeah, I feel like a lot of my friends became that as well. Yeah, I, I mean, that's the little known secret of Franciscan University. You're going to find the best people. Yeah. Here in town. <laughs> yeah, that can direct you and then know even when oh, you're student teaching, like yes. what the schools are like, the people, all of that. Yes. And this was like before you could map quest your way to anything mm-hmm. or Google it. Like you actually had to look it up and then like print out your directions. Having um, a person from the local community as a friend. Right. They would just pick you up after class and drive you to your school and show you how to get there. Mm-hmm. And it was, and, and, you know, it was amazing to get off campus and to see places like DeCarlo's and and go experience Steubenville. And Steubenville became home for me more than the small town I grew up in. Mm-hmm. And I loved it so much I never went back. Wow. I stayed in Steubenville for my four years, connected with a family that I nannied for, lived in a house that they owned, mm-hmm. and found ways to work and sustain so that I I could make Steubenville my home. And it was incredible. Yeah, that's really cool. And it's neat that you're so many people come from conferences and then experience it, but it feels like you came from the conferences. You are that statistic, a part of that, (laughs) but then became even more, just dove right in and were involved in everything. Yeah, it was so much fun. And I look back at the four years that I spent in my undergraduate. And I have one regret. And the only regret is that because I didn't plan my classes properly, I didn't go to Austria. Uh. And that was the only regret because everything else that I wanted to experience, I experienced. And I walked away from college with truly with no regrets. And how many people get to say that, that they had a college experience that was fun, that was appropriately developmental. 
and that they got a great education. They learned things. They worked hard and they made lifelong friendships and they walk away with zero regrets. Mm -hmm. I love that. I'm so proud of it. And, and so I tell everyone, this is the place that, that you want to send your kid so that they are developing among people who are going to help them develop to be a great human, a great adult. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. Wow. I, I love that. And it is such a, an appropriate way to say that. And I feel like I had that same experience. So Of course you did. You're phenomenal. That's so great. Okay. So then fast forward, you're, you know, doing all these fun things as a student. Where did you go into teaching? Where did life take you? And yeah, what yeah. happened? So I, um, I had a great time student teaching. Um, doing the early experiences and the, the education department, my professors were just, I would say, phenomenal. Um, I, I loved Dr. McVeigh. She was Professor McVeigh back then. And um, fast forward, you know, like 18 years, I was invited to come back in 2020 for a leadership conference. And she was in the audience because she knew I was speaking hmm. and was so proud. It was when my first book came out and she sat next to me in a panel and I about died because Aww. I had always admired her. She, she and Dr. Sun Yoger were just two women that brought such joy into my day, into my class, into mm -hmm. my into my my experience here. They showed me that I could be the woman that I am, even if I didn't dress like and look like and act like all of the other women that I thought on campus were the norm. Mm -hmm. um, because they, you know, Dr. Sun Yoger was a stylish, she was beautiful, she still is beautiful, yeah. but she just had such savvy and zest. And at the time that I was a student, it was a different era and femininity was presented differently. Mm -hmm. And um, I was always, you know, I was always someone who wanted to dress my best. I always liked makeup. I always liked looking like the woman I was made to be. And I didn't see as much of that embraced back then. Mm -hmm. And so I looked at Dr. Sinyogar and she was proof that I could be exactly as I was and be a woman of God and be successful and be taken seriously. Mm -hmm. And so I, when I got to my senior year, I knew I was not meant to be in a classroom for the next 30 years of my life. Mm -hmm. And so I had a choice and I had a, another professor who was just awesome, who allowed me the grace to present a senior project instead of a student teaching practicum. Mm -hmm. And so I created a curriculum, a chastity curriculum that could be used in public schools. And I brought that to several schools and um, a Catholic school, a parochial school and a public school. And I taught that curriculum to the students hmm. as my senior project. And I got feedback from the teachers who were observers and had practice presenting it and, um, you know, getting it uh, seen by the Board of Education in Pennsylvania. And I was really close. I thought this could be something um, funding changed in the Board of Education. There was a, a, a bill that went through that prevented it from being accepted and, and receiving grant money to use. But I got to go through that whole process. Mm -hmm. And um, honestly, it set the tone for the rest of my life and for other career opportunities um, using that curriculum allowed me to um, d dive very deeply into the Catholic vision of love in the Diocese of Pittsburgh. And I became a um, person at, in the diocese that taught teachers how to teach it, taught parents how to talk to their children about these issues. And um, I revised the curriculum and was able to help the next generation of teachers and students understand the beauty of our Catholic faith through a, a clear understanding of chastity 
and um, not the language of no, but all of the yeses that you get to make when you make choices that are based on boundaries and values and who you are. And it became part of the books that I ended up authoring 20 years later. Wow. Okay. You never know where life is going to take you in each step along the way. Yeah. And I just, I'm so grateful for that teacher that I had back in my senior year who was willing to coach me on how to do the hard work Mm -hmm. to make this idea that was out of the box become something other people could use. Totally. And for you to be wanting to take that risk, because in a sense, it probably could have been a lot easier to just do the student teaching, check that off and just move on and do the next thing. But to take a risk and do something hard, that's that's a big deal for a senior in college. Yeah, it was wild. <laughs> I still can't believe I did that. <laughs> Isn't that funny to look back on life sometimes and be like, wow, I really did that. And now look at where I am. That's amazing. Yeah, for sure. But it, it did set the tone for my career. Um, you know, being part of campus ministry and working with Tony Cyril and, you know, a lot of people who were around in the late 90s and the early 2000s might know that name. He was the uh, director of campus ministry. He was like a tennis rock star. And so, you, and he was from Trinidad. And so he would walk around campus and everyone felt his presence. And um, I worked in student life as the assistant campus minister. And so I planned, you know, some of the big events that all of our households were involved in. And I was part of household life and working with all the household coordinators. So this was my senior year. I had like a grown-up job Hmm. in my senior year, in addition to all the other things I was doing to try to keep myself financially solvent um, and complete my education. Like, there was a lot. But what Tony showed me was that ministry is about being present to the person in front of you. And you can be in ministry in any job you have, in Mm -hmm. any state in life. And so I left the university, stayed for the summer, um, and then I left and joined Net Ministries. And Net Ministries really showed me what I needed to do as a presenter. And Franciscan alumni, so many Franciscan alumni go into Net Ministries, national evangelization teams. Um, But I learned the art of being a presenter Hmm. and of connecting with an audience through net ministries. And I was able to just use that over the years, uh, coming back to help with young apostles and Franciscan lead and work with other groups of young adults and high school students through the university again. And so I kept coming back to my roots and, you know, ultimately I'm here as a staff member. I came back to my roots again because Mm -hmm. I believe that God uniquely prepares me for every step in my life. And all of these experiences are just all intertwined. And, you know, he, he's got a plan that I, I get to find myself in every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that idea of just like one step leads to the next step. And yeah, you can't really plan that ahead if you're following God's promptings and knowing where he's going to take you next. Yeah, right. It's been fun. That's so exciting. All right. Well, I want to get to the good stuff of these books that you have (laughs) with you in front of you because, yeah, you've had a lot of wonderful professional accomplishments, but I think these books are something that you're able to share with such a large and wide audience. So tell us about where did they come from? How did you come up with the idea? And Yeah. So thank you so much. So I have, um, it's a practical wisdom series. It's two books in the series and there will be more. Um, But the first book, like I said, I, I, I had it published at the very end on the 31st of 2019. And the first place that I was invited to share the book was here at Franciscan for a leadership conference. And it's called For She Who Leads, Practical Wisdom from a Woman Who Serves. And it's a really short book that has um, 
real practical wisdom in it that I tell stories from my own professional and personal experiences, but also um, some other women that I admire and who have been influential in my life. And every chapter ends with practical wisdom and activities, uh, questions for discussion. And, um, you know, it's been used by ERGs. It's been used by different groups. And I have to say, none of the books that I've authored are Christian in nature. But I did that intentionally because I think that I've been created to be leavened in the world. And so God has gifted me with a voice and a story. And I tell that in the workplace. I tell that in secular communities because I think that when we demonstrate how God has been so good and we do so in a way that allows anyone to capture it, they're going to see the truth and the beauty of God and they're going to turn to him. And so, um, you know, for, for Catholic audiences, these books, they have a couple swear words in them, just say mm. no. But the stories are truly of dignity. And that's what I love. Um, so this book came out and the pandemic hit. I came to the university. I shared it with a couple students and I shared it, you know, at the, um, at the conference. And then about a month later, um, the world started to shift. And so I found myself with this book, 3,000 copies of this book that were pre-ordered for other places um, in my garage. And um, the pandemic hit in a way that affected so many people. Um, Myself, personally, we we had a lot of loss in that year. My father-in-law was diagnosed with stage four cancer, so we moved him into our home. Um, I suffered a, a miscarriage. My father passed away, and my husband was diagnosed with MS. And it happened in such a short period of time that um, and I was currently working in higher ed and, and had an HR position and was responsible for keeping um, my people okay for the university um, during the pandemic and helping them transfer into you know their skills that they do in the office to do them at home and, and set up systems to help people feel safe and secure and protect their jobs and protect their wellness. And, um, and I took all of this on. And I use the principles of the book. I, I use some of these practical wisdom tips about boundaries and self-care and, you know, understanding where your values are. And it ended up becoming, um, a, I built a community of other women who were also breadwinners and caregivers under the same roof. Mm. And I looked at the support I received as I was going through all of these really difficult things. And the women that supported me were showing up in a way that caused me to do one brave thing every day. And so the first book rolled right into the second book, 21, 21 female entrepreneurs share their stories of business resilience during a global crisis. And I was asked to contribute to this book twice. And the first time I said, no, I'm too busy. And the second time (laughs) I realized that I was going to write a chapter about being busy and how to be decidedly not busy but do the things that light you up, use your gifts, and say no with grace. Mm-hmm. And so I tell the story of starting my nonprofit, The Brave Women Project. And I tell that story in this book, and it became a, um, an Amazon bestseller. People were so connected to the stories in the book, and the membership for The Brave Women Project uh, grew. What Brave Women Project is, is it's a nonprofit that supports professional women. We know that women need support in a different way. And we also know that there's a lot of networking groups that exist. And what we wanted to do is create a community for women to support each other in doing one brave thing every day. And professional women are challenged with different things than women at different states of life. And I 
made a commitment to these women who supported me that we would open up our network, we would share these relationships, and we would help each other hmm. to survive whatever life came uh, at us with. Mm-hmm. And so I guess that leads to the third book. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I'm on the edge of my seat here. Oh, thank you. So the third book is um, For She Who Grieves. It's Practical Wisdom for Living Hope. And one of the things that, you know, with a name like Holly Joy, um, there's a challenge to be joyful at all times. And I can say that I, I feel that God has allowed me to be joyful at all times, even in the midst of great suffering. In the first book, I talk about my journey with cancer. Um, before I was 30 years old, I, I, I experienced intestinal cancer, and it was shaking. It was one of those things that you live with. The scars of, of cancer are on my body forever. And it challenged me and it made me fearful about getting married, about getting pregnant, about having children, about my own mortality. Not because I don't know what's waiting for me in heaven, but because I don't want to leave the people that God has challenged me with on earth. And I say challenged because mm-hmm. that is what love is. And um, and so I I take all these experiences and I realize that that grief is so real and it is something that we don't share enough of. But I had to share my grief with the women of the Brave Women Project. And they supported me and they accepted me and they allowed me to come just as I am with my grief on the good days and bad days. And so many of them felt safe to share their stories. And so my dear friend, Amy, who was the first person to join BWP, who was at my first book launch, um, she joined, I met her at the first book launch and um, she and I took these stories to heart. We carried our own grief, but also the grief of other women. And so we came up with this book. Um, the book started when I was lying in bed after a miscarriage, not sure what my next move could be, but the only thing I knew is that God was allowing me to suffer to share it. And so I started writing this book and um, I shared it with Amy. And six months later, we were ready for publishing. Hmm. And the publisher of this book is the same person who, or the same company that published 21. And so I felt safe and I felt trust. And the book became an Amazon bestseller within a couple hours. It stayed on the bestseller list for um, longer than any of us expected. And every day I hear how it's changing people's lives because grief is universal. Everyone is grieving something and grief is personal. Everyone grieves so individually. And what I want to do is I want to create a space where people can grieve and live in hope at the same time. Mm -hmm. Man, I'm inspired. That's, yeah, Holly, that's incredible. And I feel like it's a, a a beautiful testament of your story and you saying yes to God in so many different ways. Like those are, obviously there's a common thread between those books, but they're very different. So you're able to really share with people in different parts of your life and very vulnerable. Well, thanks. I, I, I think that I was formed again in that, vulnerability through Our Lady. You know, I was I was a member of the Handmaids. I am a mm. member of the Handmaids of the Lord. And there were a couple things about the covenant of the Handmaids of the Lord that I, I know is part of my daily life. One of them is prayer without ceasing. I understand that prayer without ceasing is not being on your knees all day with a rosary bead in your hand. 
Prayer without ceasing is surrendering every single part of your day, every single movement, every single breath, every single pain, every single triumph. It is complete surrender and detachment mm-hmm. from this is mine. Mm-hmm. It becomes this is yours. Mm-hmm. And if you walk through your day with a, a state of prayer and surrender of this is yours, whatever happens to you becomes happens through you. Mm-hmm. And I know that the Lord is with me in every moment. The hard stuff especially is when he's the nearest. Mm-hmm. Going through cancer at a young age allowed me to experience the closeness of the cross and also feeling alone. You know, I was single. I wasn't married until I was at over 30. And I walked around on campus as a 20-something, a 20-year-old, thinking if I'm not married by the time I graduate, I'm going to be an old maid. Mm -hmm. And so I had that block of 10 years of wondering, Lord, you've given me so much. Where is this one thing that I want? Why aren't you giving it to me? And so there's, you know, I think I think that our our lady just was with me in a very special way as her daughter, but also as a woman who was bearing something that that, you know, she loved, but that hurt. Mm -hmm. And isn't that what sets us apart as Christians, that if we can unite that to to Mary, to Jesus, to the Christian life, it puts meaning and purpose to it other than like this is just sad and disappointing and. Yeah, woe is me. Yeah. But to really that yeah, it's what sets us apart. Yeah. And that's why my, my book, For She Who Grieves, Practical Wisdom for Living Hope, is about living hope, not about for she who grieves, let's get mad together. Mm-hmm. Like it's just a Christian perspective on suffering changes everything that we do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That hope is the critical part. Yeah. Yeah. It's the sight of heaven, right? And mm-hmm. it's it's that sight that this is not permanent. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, Holly, that's really, really exciting. I can't wait to see what the next book is and (laughs) what comes next. (laughs) I can't wait to see what comes next. I can tell you that, you know, every day I feel like I'm learning something new still and I'm like amazed by it. Um, I have two little boys at home who are hysterical and a lot of fun. And I'm so, so, so amazed that I get to be their mother. Mm-mm. And they teach me new things and ask me questions all the time. And one of the biggest joys of motherhood is seeing them learn to love what I love. And we mm. see that on Sunday mornings. I take them to mass. Um, I go to a parish with another alumni. Father Kim Shrek is the pastor yeah. of St. Monica. Well, now we're St. Augustine. But Monica and Augustine are very close in yeah. our parish. And um, my boys go to mass. And after mass, there's this time where the Adoration Chapel is being cleaned. And so I let them go in because they're not going to disturb anyone. And I watch their little bodies get as close as they possibly can to the tabernacle. Mm. And they just, they're there. They're like, you know, they're like telling secrets to their best friend. And I love it because that's how I felt when I was a student here. I remember my freshman year, still kind of new in my faith, understanding things in a different way and not always feeling like I belonged. And that sense of belonging, I'm an HR professional, that sense of belonging is so critical. If you don't feel that you belong, it's so easy to to disconnect. Mm -hmm. And so again, you know, my freshman year, first semester, part of, you know, not part of really anything yet on the, on the cusp. 
And I remember walking around on campus just trying to figure out, I don't feel right yet. And this was before cell phones, right? Before, Mm -hmm. well, cell phones were bricks back then. Mm -hmm. But this was before everyone was looking at a cell phone all the time. And so people actually would say hi to you on campus and wave at you and ask you how you're doing and say, can I pray for you? Mm -hmm. It was really sweet unless you didn't feel like you belonged. Mm -hmm. And then it was just real uncomfortable. And I remember walking around every day on campus at night, just feeling out of place, working through things in my head. And I would find myself at the port almost every night in silence. I didn't bring a book, didn't have rosary, didn't have, I would just sit there and look at him in the Eucharist and just look at the monstrance. I wouldn't have words. I would just sit there. And I didn't realize the beauty of that and the intimacy of that because the Lord was providing for me a safe place to belong before I found a, a group that mm-hmm. made sense before I found the the connections that were going to eventually 20 years later lead me back here. Mm-hmm. And I just, it is so different here. It is so different here than in other parts of the world and other parts of the country and other universities mm-hmm. because we have the presence of Christ ready and willing for us to have relationship all the time. Mm-hmm. That sustained me. That continues to sustain me. Mm-hmm. And when that's the root of your belonging, then the other things that can come and go or are fleeting, it's okay when they leave because you've got the root and the groundedness. Absolutely. Yeah. It's the source. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's awesome. So, all right. So fast forward 20 years, you came back and after being a student that was super involved and uh, you know, helping so much on campus to come back in a different role. I'm sure you have some new eyes, but also some excitement to see things that are the same, things that are have changed, that are different. So what has that been like for you? It's beautiful. It is so cool to see the thriving nature of the university. And we have grown. We are doing things that are really attracting a, a new generation We are teaching and preparing students in a way that is sending them forth into business to make an impact. You know, I I love it. Um, I've also just been so touched by the commitment of some of the alumni that are here and some of the people who are just drawn to the university. One of the things that I, I got to do this year is I got to do listening sessions with every employee and hear their experience of the university hear what they love, hear what what they want to see more of, hear what they see we could improve with. And it's such a privilege to be in this role, to connect with employees and cultivate that sense of belonging. You know, as an HR professional, I, I get it. But to connect that to my faith and connect that to this inherent dignity that every person has, it's it's truly a privilege. And, you know, one of the things about being in HR is you are there in the good times and you're there in the really difficult times in people's lives. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been in, in a leadership role for the past 15 years in various organizations, um, walking with people. And I continue to be grateful for those difficult times in people's lives that I get to be the person who holds their hand, who supports them, who listens. Um, I think God has created me to suffer with people. And, mm-hmm. and, it's, and it's not, it, you know, I don't mean that in any way that God creates me to suffer. God loves me so much and has named me in such a way that I am allowed to be a conduit of him in those difficult moments for people. And, mm-hmm. and it is a privilege. And so, you know, part of 
part of HR at any organization is being uniquely dispositioned to walk with people in difficult times. Mm-hmm. And um, and I love that. And I, I'm grateful for it. Um, and I've gotten to have such great times with people here. We've done some really unique things um, in terms of building community. And it ties... You're still the party planner. <laughs> you know. were as the student and you're back. <laughs> I know. It's awesome. One of the things that we've done this year that has been so fun um, is we do a, a holy hour on the first Friday of every month for all faculty and staff three o'clock. And then afterwards we have a happier hour. So we get holy and then we get happy. And so I've been able to meet and connect with such incredible people here on campus because Father Dave and Brennan Purgy, they see it. They know who I am. They know that I'm the party planner and I'm the the people gatherer and the belonging maker. And um, to be able to execute their vision mm-hmm. in these real tangible ways is amazing. Other things that we do on campus is we have um, a women's ERG. Um, not like you don't know about it, but uh, you know we, we put together a group of emerging leaders who are female on campus. And we spend time together every month and just support each other. And I think that's important. Um, I, you know, I, I've been able to, to pull off some lunch and learns to equip people with skills for a new generation of leaders. Mm-hmm. And I, I just, being back here, offering my talents, every single talent I can possibly give, I'm giving. Because I think that, you know, the Lord blesses us with opportunities for a time and their seasons. And the seasons of my life, I know he moves me quickly. And so I, I want to give every gift I have and the opportunities that I have. And, you know, it's just, it's so much fun to come to work and share with people. Mm-hmm. That's exciting. Well, we are very blessed to have you. And it's been, I I can say in the last year, yes, there has been a huge effort and a huge growth of that community building and gathering people together. So you've made an impact. Yay. So you're benefiting. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's amazing. That's awesome. Well, I do this for other companies too. And that's like what's kind of cool about the way that I think I was made. I've always been the kind of person that's had like a, a number of different projects that I've been working on at one time. I've always had multiple jobs since I was five years old. I've (laughs) always had two jobs. Like I was probably the only 14 year old that was juggling two different work schedules. Mm -hmm. But um, I've stayed really active with other firms and other industries and other universities that I've, I've been a consultant and I've been able to help lead organizations and cultivating a sense of belonging and that culture. And um, I, you know, you'll read about it in, in my first book and for she who leads, uh, I'm part of a firm called Winner Partners, and the firm was started by my mentor. And I'm the talent development partner. And what I do is I connect our partners with the mission, with the vision of the firm, with the way that we treat people. And I ensure that we make decisions that are based on, it's executive search, so it could be dog-eat-dog, dog, but it's not. Hmm. It, I ensure that we treat people with dignity and align with our values every decision we make has to give people dignity and be in alignment with values. And I, I'm so privileged to do that. And because of that, I've gotten to work with some great organizations all over the world. Mm-hmm. And I've gotten to share the gift of personal dignity mm-hmm. and and, what, and teach people how when you share this, this value right. and you treat people the way they deserve to be treat, treat, 
treated, um, how it changes a business and how it, it enhances and how it creates really sticky people, really sticky hires. And so mm-hmm. whether it's executive search or it's speaking or writing or leading conferences or, you know, leading lunchtime lunch and learns virtually, um, I love that I get to share this impact with so many other people. And I, I, I have so much fun doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that really sets it sets people apart when you can find those people that have that mission alignment, the values and um, are living it. So that's exciting. Yeah. And like the other thing is coaching. This is something I think it's just everyone who is alumni listening to this. Like the takeaway is when you treat your employees like they are an unrepeatable gift and you are in front of their needs and anticipating how do I, how do I take care of this person? Because they are valuable separate from what they do right who they are is more important mm -hmm. than what they contribute they are going to contribute more they are going to joyfully do more they are going to be loyal they are going to be sticky i always talk about a sticky hire but when an employer or a supervisor is in front of their people advocating for them and giving them those unexpected gifts of whatever that might be that's valuable to them it creates a culture of belonging. You don't have to have an HR person planning an event Mm -hmm. to make people feel that they belong. If you are looking out for them and looking into them as a supervisor, as a manager, as as an owner, you're gonna be able to create that culture that starts with you and that builds builds loyalty and capacity. Mm-hmm. And and that's what I teach people to do. That's what I teach supervisors and managers to do and executives. Mm-hmm. That's exciting. Well, I can imagine that, yeah, you're quite successful in that and able to really make an impact. So thank you for sharing those gifts with Franciscan. Uh, thank you so much. I really love working with you and I like what you I like what you bring, Christy. You know, it's fun to be part of something like this. I've heard some of these podcasts and so I know that they're I know that they're well received and it's conversational and um, connecting with alumni and constituents, that's also part of what builds our brand as a university. Mm-hmm. And you know, being in HR, I always want to hire people who understand the brand of Franciscan University and then peel open the layers. And I want to hire people that know our Lord, that love our Lord, and that will work for our Lord. Mm-hmm. And I think that if we can do that together, if you know, if, if if anyone who is listening to the podcast today wants to be part of our story, uh, come and work with us. You know, come and join this team. Come and come and be part of the university because great talent is needed. And, um, you know, you don't have to work at Franciscan to share the vision, but um, it really is fun if you can work here and share the vision. Yeah. And it's been neat for me to talk to different alums from different generations that there is that common thread of maybe our student experience looked a little different or you were there for the tense part of uh, conferences and now we're in the field house. So things have changed, but that common thread of that understanding of who we are as Franciscan alumni really hasn't changed. So it's exciting that there is that common bond and uh, unity among people here, even from different generations. Yeah, absolutely. You just, you know it. Yeah. yeah. You know it. And it's beautiful. Yeah. Great. All right. Well, I have a few more questions for you to take you back to those student experiences. So we've got our hot takes from the Hill. Okay. So a little rapid fire here, which you kind of addressed this first one, but who was your favorite professor? Oh, Dr. Sun Yogur, 
hands down. The woman can dress. She can wear heels like no one else. She can run a marathon in those heels. She always just spoke with such tenderness and love. And she would lead every class with the Lord's Prayer and start it so slowly and intentionally that every word mattered. Mm-hmm. I think maybe you should author a book with her. She was one of our first few podcast guests, and she shared about her book. So maybe this could be something for the future for you, too. Oh, I would love it. You know, she and I are like in a mutual fan club of each other. We (laughs) absolutely love each other. And I was yesterday just walking down the street in Steubenville near her house visiting someone, and she stops her cute little hot car, gets off the phone, opens her window, we're chatting in the middle of the street and it was like the most natural thing ever. And, um, I just, I adore her and I would do anything that she signed up for. Okay. Well, let's make this happen. <laughs> do you hear this Dr. Sonia? Yeah, let's go. <laughs> awesome. What was your favorite class? Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. I had a lot of favorite class. I had some very not favorite classes, but I would say one of my favorite classes was educational psychology or developmental psychology. And um, we did a field trip. It was always fascinating. I still have the book. I've used it. Hmm. Um, but what was always fascinating about the class is the way that this particular professor, he had a long Polish last name and he had great stories. He really made sense of some difficult concepts, but that class actually laid the groundwork for my study of psychometric evaluations. And so because of some of the work I did in that class, I went on to become uh, certified in psychometrics. And Mm. so I have a number of different platforms that I can use with psychometric tools to deliver behavior assessments. Mm. And thanks to that class, I got real nerdy and I loved it. (laughs) That's amazing. That sounds like it's really important. Um, where was your favorite place to study as a student, assuming that you studied? Oh, yeah. I, okay. So I'm like an over-preparer. Okay. Um, I studied in the JC all the time. I was just going to say, you're a social studier, aren't you? <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I Listen, I was so boy crazy back then. I still am. I mean, my, my husband like laughs at me all the time. But I loved the interaction with all of the boys that were coming through after playing basketball or something, getting something to eat and then coming through. They all talked to me because I'm so social and I was always in the middle of everything and I had such a blast. Little did I know back then that like 60% of them were going to become priests. Um, thanks to my Facebook feed, I see all of it. Oh my gosh. But I also, you know, this is another part of my story at Franciscan. I was one of those people that got to spend a lot of time with people because I was so social. And I used to go on dates with all these boys who ended up becoming priests. And it was so fun to be the girl that they would choose to go out with before they even knew they were going to be a priest. Yeah. Because I guess, you know, virtue is there. You know, they I was always this person who they knew they would have a great conversation with. We would have such a fun time together. There would never be a compromise of any of the values. And I wasn't afraid to hang out with them. I also didn't think that because they asked me on a date, they were going to marry me. Mm-hmm. And so I ended up, you know, 20 years later, I'm still friends with most of these people. And yeah, a lot of these guys are priests. That's it's awesome. So Franciscan is a great priest maker. That is Franciscan. Yes. <laughs> Very true. Um, all right. Well, as the, the lead of all the student activities and events, what was your favorite activity as a student? Oh my gosh. Okay. I have a, th- I have a top three. Okay. I can't help it. We'll take them. Okay. Mine, I would say in the top number one position has to be Sun Life Spring Break Mission Trip. Mm. 
it was so much fun. I did it a couple of years in a row. I was the coordinator and it was the bomb. Just as much fun as being on the mission trip was the bus ride down. Mm-hmm. And um, Dan Shrek and I were the bus captains for my senior year. And it was literally one of the most ridiculous bus rides ever. We had the best time. Yeah. Um, so I would say that's like, the, that's my top three. My number two in the top three would be the resurrection parties. Um, again, my work in student life and mm-hmm. res life and all the fun things that I did. Oh, there's a fourth one. Um, it was really fun. The resurrection party was a blast. Um, the planning it prepared me to plan my wedding in forty eight hours. Oh um, I would say that the last class luau was also a blast, and I loved hosting it. Not only was the planner, but I was like the host with the microphone the whole night. It was crazy. I don't know why people Amazing. always allowed me to do these things. But then there was another party that was off campus when I was a student that I when I lived in this house and it was called No Honey No Money and it was a Valentine's Day party <laughs> and you could not bring a date and um we were like we just had we had a huge house and so it was a killer party um and we had fryers there like oh my gosh it was so much fun um that's amazing my my group of friends we had so much fun and um, you know, we did the dating game back then and I was one of the bachelorettes. And so I had to go on a date with this rando. And, oh my gosh. So God bless you, wherever you are in the world. And, you know, like all of these things that I think were just in such good nature, mm-hmm. um, and so much fun and just simple. Um, things are a lot more complicated today mm-hmm. and a lot more savvy and, um, you know, our, our, our young people today need something different, mm-hmm. but man, did we just have fun. And, um, some of my experiences from being in college were, were once in a lifetime moments and I'm grateful for them. And now I have a nephew who is a freshman here hmm. and, um, he didn't know anything about Steubenville. He came to visit me, um, two weeks before he applied. Uh, no, three weeks before the semester started, he came to visit me on campus, just happened to be hmm. around visiting family and I walked around campus and I had him set up with a tour and um, he ended up applying just by being on campus that one time hmm. and has had a phenomenal freshman year. And just, you know, this is wow. the stuff, this place changes lives. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. All right. Final question. Have you ever run into an alum in an unexpected place? Oh, I wish I had a good story here because I really should. Um, okay, well, no, because listen, I, I worked for the Diocese of Pittsburgh for 15 years. So they were I, everywhere. They were everywhere. And I've been, I, I almost go through life expecting that I'm mm-hmm. going to run into someone who has experience a Franciscan mm-hmm. and there are no unexpected things. But um, it is kind of funny when I, in my work in, as a recruiter, when I talk with people and we connect on LinkedIn and they happen to mention that, oh, I see you went to Franciscan University and then they share their story. And it's like, this is, this is so cool that there's this connection. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know what? Like, I just feel like everyone has a little connection here somewhere. That's if you're Catholic, true. you have a connection. Here. Yeah. How many degrees away can you find somebody? Precisely. It's true. Yeah. Well, Holly, thank you so much for joining us. And can you remind everybody where they can find you and your information and all of your resources? Absolutely. So I actually have a a website. It's really unique. 
It's www.hollyjoy.info. You can get all the info about the books that I, I write, the projects I work on, the Brave Women Project, um, my consulting, and just if you like crazy videos of me, there's tons on the website, but it's hollyjoy.info. Um, my organization is the Brave Women Project. Um, we exist to help women do one brave thing every day. And um, I'm just, I'm so grateful for the time and I'm grateful for the university. It, it, it has made my life um, make sense mm-hmm. and given me the tools that have allowed me to live my vocation and live in my vocation. And I just, I'm so grateful. So thank you for making this interview so fun and for doing this work. Yeah. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Legends from the Hill. If you liked this conversation, please share it with an alumni you think would also enjoy it. And be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Franciscan Alumni to stay up to date on events in your area and news on campus. Do you know an alumni who has a story to tell? We want to hear legends from throughout our 75-year history. Email us suggestions for the podcast at alumni at franciscan.edu. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode of Legends from the Hill.